0: to Goal Line Extended on the Lacrosse Flash Podcast Network. What's going on, Lacrosse fans? Welcome to Goal Line Extended on the Lacrosse Flash Podcast Network. I'm your host Ryan Holspus. Glad that you could join us as we get set to look ahead to Week Seven of the PLL season, the second to last weekend of the regular season from Colorado Springs, Colorado, and then. Following a week off, the league will be in the capital city of New York, Albany, New York, at the University of Albany for the eighth and final weekend of the regular season. And then we'll be right into the playoffs where we will see the top seven of eight teams moving on and we should start to see a clear playoff picture come together this coming weekend in Colorado as we are now getting into crunch time when it comes to the PLL season and the best player in the game put it pretty simply and I think every team at this point feels the same way that the playoffs have started at this point really every game every win every goal uh, matters right now and Lyle Thompson and his cannons and like I said I'd imagine every other team at this point in the season is treating each game from here on out like it's a playoff game and for every team besides the Waterdogs and cannons that will be three more games over these next two weekends before we get into all of that though and more obviously as we had a pretty busy weekend of both junior and pro lacrosse action despite the PLL bye week let me welcome in lacrosse insider Dan Orestia and lacrosse flash writer and reporter Jordan Johnson gentlemen how are we feeling uh, this week no PLL games this past weekend as I mentioned there before but (laughs) if you wanted or needed your lacrosse fix Jordan there was a ton of lacrosse out there to choose from
1: for sure, man. Whether you were going box or field, men or women, you had your options, and it was all great, man. Dan, yeah, I'm, have...
2: ready. I'm ready to get back to the uh, to the outdoors. I'm ready to get back to the PLL uh, season here. i pumped to see what they get after in Colorado. I think everybody's going to answer for some games. Got some fun roster moves. Like I'm, I'm fired up. I'm ready for games right now.
0: Oh, yeah. And as Jordan was saying, despite no meaningful PLL action the last two weekends, as we had the All-Star Game and Skills Challenge last Sunday and then a full bye week, this past weekend, there still was a ton of options out there to choose from uh, to fill that lacrosse void. So hopefully for everyone watching and or listening, you got a chance to tune into the OJLL or Athletes Unlimited Professional Women's Lacrosse over the weekend as both kicked off their 2021 summer seasons. And before we get into the PLL, uh, that is where we are going to kick off today's show as our very own Pat Gregoire is a part of the OJLL broadcast team for JVI Sports Network. You can find them and rewatch the games if you are interested on the JVI Sports Network YouTube channel. But Greg, he did an incredible job, was calling a few games by himself there at times. Uh, he conducted a ton of interviews after the games with players. You can find all of those on the OJLL social media pages. But there was a ton of games. Each team played four in total, and there's 11 teams in total. I'm not a great math guy. But I'd imagine that totals at least over 20 games played. So an awesome job by Greggy and everybody that he's working with over there at JVI Sports to cover the Ontario Junior Box Lacrosse League as Junior Box Lacrosse. Not something that the three of us are very uh, very familiar with, excuse me, but still some great lacrosse nonetheless with a few names that us as college lacrosse fans can recognize. Guys like Dyson Williams were out there. There's a handful of future NLL players that we will see this December as well playing out. Their final year of eligibility in the OJLL. So, all in all, an exciting weekend of box lacrosse, and another one will follow this coming weekend. So, make sure to tune in and follow the league across social media. But, Jordan, we also got to see the new Athletes Unlimited pro-women's lacrosse league debut this past weekend across CBS Sports Network, Fox Sports One, and on YouTube, which gave us even more lacrosse content this weekend on the PLOs By and more content led to more excitement as Jordan, it seemed like it was behind the back goal after behind the back goal all weekend, and Athletes Unlimited is already getting geared up here for week two, we should uh, shortly be getting these rosters, I think a few names have already come out, which will be drafted, and then captained by defenseman Kayla Wood, attackman Kayla Trainer, who was recently hired as the women's head coach for Syracuse, midfielder Dempsey Arsenal, and midfielder Haley Warden, as they were the top four point getters through the first three games through the athletes' unlimited player scoring model. So an awesome first weekend. What are some of your biggest takeaways, Jordan, from week one as the AU woman gets set for week two in the ensuing month ahead?
1: Um, So the first one is the broadcast, man. You have to commend the league for coming out of the gate. Uh, with just a great overall broadcast, uh, a lot of our people in Maryland and who were familiar with the MLL are familiar with Joe Beninati. Having him call pro lacrosse is just great. Again, um, they did a great job of just explaining the point system. Look, at first, it's a little bit complicated to get a hold of, but they did a great job throughout the weekend of explaining the system, explaining who was in the leaderboard, how this is going to affect things like the MVP race, end the season bonuses. And of course, as you mentioned before, the four captains for the next week. And then, second of all, you met, as you mentioned before the behind-the-back goals. We had uh, the first game on Friday start off with the behind-the-back goal, and then uh, the first game on Saturday start off with the behind-the-back goal. Um, so, if that if you're not familiar with women's lacrosse, um, just even the girls' stick having it be such a smaller packet or a pocket, excuse me, and be able to pull it off. It's just amazing to see. And it's a lot more. And this Athletes Unlimited style is a lot more uh, physical than we've seen previously in WPLL and even in college lacrosse. So, all around great performances. And if you're a team in Athletes Unlimited, I kind of threw this out there on Twitter with the whole drafting system. And we'll see when these uh, results come in tonight uh, as we're doing this on Monday. What the teams will sort of look like will they will the captains look to sort of bring back players to keep chemistry or in other cases will they sort of shake up to try and see what they can do as we go throughout the five weeks. Yeah, just get different looks and whatnot. Um, So overall just a great product to watch over the weekend and I along with the rest of you look forward to watching it throughout these next uh, four or five weeks.
0: Yeah, that's going to be interesting there that you mentioned in in terms of do these four captains want to kind of keep consistency in terms of players that they've played with uh, here in week one or obviously then going into week three? Do you want to try to keep players that you played with in week one and in week two? Something that we will uh, watch for as these captains kind of go through uh, through this draft process as each week we'll have four new captains or if a captain obviously uh, I guess plays up to the, the point. Uh, there's a whole point system if you want to check it out. It's at the Athletes Unlimited homepage. You can find uh, the point system, but the captains for the, the following week are determined by the play of that week. So the week three Three captains will be determined by the play of every single player uh, this coming week in week two. So something that's very interesting. We really haven't seen something like this before. So definitely very interesting to see uh, the women's lacrosse game do it. Uh, doing it. It was great to see Athletes Unlimited wrap up as well. Just an incredible first weekend. Really just to get that first one under their belt and squared away it has to feel Really good for everyone involved, especially after uh, what we saw last year, as you were saying before, with the uh, WPLL folding after a very short lifespan. So awesome for all the athletes and personnel involved. And we will continue watching very closely over the next month or so as the Uh, Athletes Unlimited Season runs its course, as we'll have the OJLL, AU Pro Women's Lacrosse, and the end of the PLL season and the playoffs to look forward to over the next month or so, along with what is becoming a hot transfer portal in NCAA Men's Lacrosse. Let's start uh, with the big news, though, from the NCAA, as they've announced some rule modifications to both the men's and women's game ahead of the 2022 spring. Most notably, the shot clock has been adjusted for both games. As for the men and women, the shot clock will reset to 60 seconds instead of the full eighty seconds when a shot either hits the goalie or the goal and that you know possession obviously is kept by the offensive team. So something that we've seen implemented in the PLO, a shorter shot clock, even though the PLO is already 52 seconds to begin with. This should allow for some faster pace and more efficient lacrosse to both games. Also for the women, their games have historically been two 30 minute halves rather than four quarters. That will no longer be the case as beginning in 2022 games. We played in four four 15-minute uh, for quarters, excuse me. Uh, so, Dan, some uh, some interesting modifications here as we get set for the 2022 season. How do you think these two in general, modifying the shot clock and the change from halves to quarters for the women will impact both games this coming spring?
2: Yeah, you know, I think the change to the, to the shot clock for men, um, when they first announced the shot clock, the original shot clock rules and everything, with the 80 and then reset to 80, I think there were people at that point who were saying – why aren't we doing 80 reset to 40 reset to 60 something like that so i think this was a rule that people kind of maybe wanted to see them go to right out of the gate um you know we'll see how it looks it's it's great when fall rolls around and you get to check out these changes to rule sets or other maybe experimental rules that might roll out between now and then where we're going to try them in fall ball and see if they work these um these are going to be good, though. I like the I like the short reset. I'm I'm not one of the people who says, the, you know, that the men's college should just take the PLL shot clock. I don't I don't mind the difference between the two levels. Um, you know, you see differences in timing rules between college and pro football, college and pro basketball, and that it, it you know it works in both places. So I think having a little variation there is is fine for the health of the sport. Um, but I like the reset to 60 a lot. I like that. Uh, it's, it's not necessarily enough time to just be like, all right, let's just hold out for a minute here. Really get all these subs happening, change our personnel completely, get into a, new, a whole new offense. You know, you, you have a 60 seconds, which is enough to, to set up a good reattack at the net. But, um, you know, you, the, the full 80, that, that 20 seconds is a longer time than you might think. So, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm happy to see that change. I think I was one of those people who was saying, why don't we go 80-60 or something similar to that? So I, th- I think this is a healthy one. Um, you know, for the women, I think it's the same kind of thing. I think it's a healthy change. You know, we'll, we'll kind of see I, I'm not well-versed enough in, um, in the rules that might also be, you know, changing along with this, how this impacts the split of a half, how this impacts, you know, the way maybe you deploy your personnel um, with knowing that you're going to play running time quarters instead of running time halves. So, um, you know, that sort of remains to be seen. Again, I'm not as well versed in the women's game to, to know um, really the nuances of, of just how much you're going to feel the ripple of that change. So, um, you know, I, I'm going to look forward to giving it a watch and, and seeing how it plays out. Um, you know, that's that's a change that's a little more uh, sweeping in the sense that it's, it's you know, going from quarters to halves is, is fairly significant. Um, and I would love it if, High school would mirror that. That's a place where I, lo- I would like to see some more uh, consistency. So, you know, I, I know there's high school federation rules, you know, where I live here in Connecticut. The public schools use federation rules, so we still don't have a shot clock for the boys, and the girls are still going to be doing their, their running time halves. Um, I would like to see both these ch- timing rules make its way there, but, you know, I guess one <laughs> one miracle at a time. So, um, you know, I, I think they're good changes, though. I think they're good healthy changes for the sport at the college level
0: one small step at a time here for the college game hopefully we'll see as you're saying some of these changes make it to the high school and possibly youth levels as well but i never you know fully understood why the women's game was halves instead of quarters so i feel like this is a good step as you're saying by the ncaa Colters obviously giving you the opportunity to game plan a little bit more strategically in between, you know, quarters rather than being held to just a halftime adjustment. And then with that shot clock, I'm all for making the game faster and more efficient. So I like the idea of making the shot clock shorter off offensive rebounds. And we'll see both rules, among others, implemented in both games this coming spring. And as Dan is saying as well, in the fall, when we start to see fall ball into full effect. And another thing that I like the idea of is Sean Goldsmith entering the transfer portal and the possibility that we could see him this coming spring suited up with the likes of the North Carolina Tar Heels or the Duke Blue Devils, or the virginia cavaliers are one of these other acc big 10 or big east powerhouses i'd imagine the acc schools would have to be at the top of his list but there's a ton of high profile names still out there in the pool we've seen a few of them already find new homes but dan a guy with a skill set like goldsmiths who has you know was or who was i should say unfortunately limited in 2021 due to an injury a guy that can probably take a winning program like unc or duke and get them over that hump here and get to that championship game where do you see goldsmith landing and i as i'd imagine he's already been finding you know or probably fielding phone calls uh i should say from some of the top programs in the country you
2: know i I think it's it's an interesting case like i know i just you know out of the gate i know there are there are moments where goldsmith can be like a bit of a meme in in the lax twitter world like we love to have fun with you know with his photo and you know he's he's at mercer and everything and and the Mercer Hive is one of the more fun groups that's on Laxwear. Um, But, you know, b- before COVID ended the season before this one prematurely, the guy leading the nation in goals wasn't Sowers or Gray or any of these other guys. It was Sean Goldsmith. And, again, I know he's playing for Mercer. He's not playing an ACC schedule or an Ivy schedule or any of that. But he's still got to go out there and score the goals. And it's not something that just anybody can do, just rack up five, six, seven goals every time he goes out. So – you know, he, he can score, um, and there are teams that are going to be in, in the market for the services of a guy who can pile in goals like he can. Um, you know, I, I think the, the, the power conferences, as it were, the ACC's of the world, um, you know, would-be schools that are on his radar. Um, you know, I, I think it would be interesting to see if, uh, if the guys up in, in Syracuse are trying to turn over their personnel a little bit with a whole new coaching staff. And oh, yeah. and see if maybe somebody like that is a fit for them, where you know he can come in and he's a reliable goal scorer who's not going to need the ball a ton from guys you already have that are established as as key pieces like hilts and and stuff like that. So um, you know I think there's a lot of schools where he's where he's just a fit because he he's he's uh, he, he's not like a superstar he scores like he could be a superstar, but this isn't Sowers in the portal. You know, this isn't, this isn't gray going from BU to UNC. Um, But I I hope he winds up somewhere where we get to watch him play regularly on, on TV because, you know, at at Mercer, you kind of have to, you kind of have to seek them out. You know, you go to the sort of Google, a a link to a stream or, you know, like fans, periscoping their games if you want yes. to try to get a glimpse of Goldsmith scoring <laughs> goals you know you you I hope he goes to a place where we can step up from that a little bit and we see uh, you know we get we get a niche and the guys calling a, a couple Goldsmith goals here and there in the ACC this year but oh yeah um, you know I again with a, he he can score really really well he's he's a great great offensive weapon and if that's your skill set is that you can get your own shot and you can you know shoot really well and score consistently five, six goals a game, whatever it is, then there's a lot of teams in college lacrosse that are in the market for a guy like you. So, um, you know, I, I I think that the the cream of the crop is up there. I could also see him winding up, you know, a more sort of middle of the road, but maybe a, a name program, you know, like a, a school like Michigan might come to mind. Again, not necessarily that he's going to go there, but as an example of of kind of the tier of school that could be, you know, a, a fit for him where, you know, a big step up in strength of conference, you know, Michigan – I hate to bring it to Wolverine fans probably isn't winning the big 10 this spring. You know, they're not going to be a contender, but he's a good fit there in in terms of a piece they could use on the offensive end and a a big step up in program strength. So, um, I, I, I hope again, I hope he goes to a place where we get to watch him on TV and we get to have some more fun with him. I'm thrilled that he's going to be in college and play it for another year. I hope he's healthy and comes back from whatever the ailment was that kept him out of, uh, most of this past year. But, um, yeah, it was it was exciting when this to see his name there. I know a lot of people immediately were just like, Oh man, we get to see Goldsmith, you know, if you wanna play for a daddy, you gotta bring Goldsmith in. He's the guy you need. He's the piece you're missing right now. Oh, so yeah. um, you know, I know I'll be glued to it to see where he winds up.
0: Which that's more than what I was going for. Obviously, you kind of danced around it. Dan just wants to see Goldsmith on uh, on national TV every weekend. Right. Jordan, you look at kind of like a UNC putting Goldsmith alongside a Chris Gray, or maybe even a, go to a UVA. You put a Goldsmith alongside all the pieces: Matt Moore, Con- Connor Schellenberger, all the pieces that Virginia obviously has coming back, or maybe even a Maryland. You know, they're they're bringing back a handful of pieces. Where do you see right. Goldsmith kind of kind of falling here uh, in? in in this portal process.
1: I'll throw a wild card out to you. Penn State, uh, why not go, why not go there? You can potentially be the man essentially with Mac O'Keefe gone. Uh, You have a program who hasn't, you say, let's say take a, took a step back, but you're going to play for a coach and Jeff Tambroni, who's been there, done that, you know, that staff with Haas and now Mike Murphy being there, you know, they have the potential to get you to a national championship could be a fit if you still want to like you talked about Dan you want to go to a Big 10 school, get that national attention, sort of get more eyes on you easier to watch your games and you could still potentially have somewhat of your same role at Mercer where you were the guy. Now being the guy in the Big 10 and being the guy at Mercer are two different things, but that's just a wild card. Realistically, that UNC I could certainly see UNC being an option. I mean, you look at their offense as a whole um just with right there with Chris Gray i mean you get an opportunity to go play with a guy like him you're going to have a chance to win a national title and he's a guy I believe is he going to have one more year of eligibility or two i believe i believe i'm
0: going to say one cuz he did two either, at BU,
1: or not chris gray i one. mean gold i mean um goldsmith <laughs> um but regardless, just to having a chance for a year to to go win a title with playing with Chris Gray, uh, that's certainly going to be hard to pass up. So if I had to take my realistic guess, if we were going to a sports book and put money on it, I'd put my money on UNC.
0: <laughs> there we go. I, I know Goldsmith definitely, I believe, has one year uh left uh, on his on his uh of eligibility uh gray as well one year left so we'll see maybe we'll see them uh suiting up together this year that would definitely be exciting but sean goldsmith is just the latest name to graze that ncaa transfer portal and we will follow that as he looks for a new place to play this coming spring but again a ton of talent still available in that pool and we'll be following any and all updates from the transfer portal all right time to dive into the PLO as the playoff push. Is officially on. We have five games this weekend, followed by six games in week eight in Albany to wrap up the 2021 regular season. As the battle for the number one seed is on, the number seven and final playoff spot also remains up for grabs. And the field ahead of the quarterfinals and ensuing playoff rounds is still to be determined. And, and frankly, wide open as, as all the teams are still, you know, within kind of two games of each other. But we should get a better idea following this weekend's slate of games, which... We will see the Atlas take on Chrome on Friday night at 9 p.m. Eastern. The Archers will play the Redwoods Saturday at 7 p.m., followed by the Water Dogs and Whipsnakes at 10. So some late-night lacrosse there on both Friday and Saturday night for us on the East Coast. And then on Sunday, we'll see the Chaos and Chrome at 2 p.m. Eastern, followed by the Atlas and the Cannons, as the Cannons try to put themselves in a better spot ahead of their final game in Week 8, as they sit at the bottom of the standings, a half game behind the Chrome and Chaos, For that seven seed, we also got some huge transaction news to kick off the week, and we'll get to that as we get through these teams and matchups. We're uh, going—I should say—we're recording this on Monday night, as Jordan mentioned there before. I'm getting uh, wisdom teeth pulled on Tuesday, and we won't be recording another show because of that between now and the weekend. So, if anything comes out following the recording and release of this show, I guess we'll just get to it next week's uh, in next week's PLL Flash next Tuesday, and then Goal Line Extended on Friday. But let's start with these matchups because there's a ton of playoff implications on the line this weekend and then obviously into next weekend. And let's start with the Chrome because they made a huge splash on Monday night right before we started recording for this show, by signing attackman Dylan Malloy, who's been unsigned all season up to this point, which is sort of a head scratcher given the fact that he's a former Tourette winner just a few years ago. He's not too far removed from dominating in the MLL, but ladies and gentlemen, Dylan Malloy has been signed. And all of the rumors and jokes aside, this is a huge move uh, for both parties. As Malloy, a great attackman in the game of lacrosse, is now in the PLL after opting to play in the MLL ahead of the 2018 season. And the Chrome, who have been rattled by injuries all season, get some much-needed attack help ahead of their playoff push and the second and final doubleheader of the season for them. They currently sit in sixth place with three goals separating them and the Chaos from that seventh and final spot in the playoffs. And they'll play the Atlas on Friday night. And then they'll get the chance to control their own destiny per se against the chaos on Sunday. But, Dan, a huge move by Coach Sudo here ahead of week seven to bring in Dylan Malloy, as well as a familiar face in Donnie Moss in the midfield. But focusing on Malloy, what does he bring to the table and offer to this Chrome offense that they might have been lacking thus far this season?
2: Yeah, you know, I have kind of been on record. I thought Malloy, you know, I I think he's been a good fit for them for for weeks, um, you know, basically, basically, as soon as Jordan Wolf went down, I was like, "All right, it's time to sign Dylan Malloy." Um, yeah, you know, I, I was thrilled to see that news come across. I think pro Lacrosse is better as as a whole when Dylan Malloy's playing it. Um, in terms of how he fits with the Chrome, I I think he's he's on brand for them, and I think physically this team is going to be very challenging to deal with. Right, Malloy is a, a wrecking ball of an attackman who can overpower, you know, if you if you don't have a defenseman who's ready to play physical, mean, like aggressive, you know, just you're going to leave this game very sore style of defense, then you're not going to be able to handle a guy like Dylan Malloy. And he's going to be on the field with some other seriously, you know, physical, aggressive, beefy players like Heacock and John Rannigan. Um, this is a team that has the ability now to, to offensively, to punish you, and and they needed, you know, an, an injection. They needed a spark of uh, of goal scoring ability on the offense. You know, I, I think their last game out, they had six goals or whatever it was against the Water Dogs. Now I can talk scored four of them. Yeah, yeah. They, you know, they they yeah. they had eight against the Archers in a, in a game that they won. But I, I think in their last like four games, I think they've only managed double digits once or something like that. You know, I think they got to ten. Um, so they, they needed the spark, and it's and it's you know they're dealing with serious injury issues that's well documented, and Sudo and every other leader on that team will tell you like nobody feels bad for us, um, but this is this is a big move for them, and uh, you know you I'm happy that we get to see him I'm, I'm hoping he's being signed so that he can dress immediately, um, and we get to see him on Friday night I think Dylan Malloy in prime time making his debut would be would be a ton of fun especially against the Atlas who's who's you know. Going to be playing for basically for prime playoff position. They have, I think, the best track at the one seed. So um, you know the the Chrome have, have spoiled some seasons already. They handed the Archers a loss. They you know they've they've stuck it to the Whip Snakes. So um, they can play that spoiler role when you think that they can't hang because they're too hurt, they're too banged up, they don't have the pieces right now. That's when they'll punish you. And um, you know I I think there's a chance maybe we see a Friday. I would love to see Dylan Malloy in the starting lineup out there, um, you know, mixing it up again. With he'll he'll probably wind up dealing with a guy like Rex Road, and that'll be fun. That'll be a physical. Let's knock each other out, you know, dating myself, but you know, like like a Tyson Holyfield, just battle for ten rounds and and just whoever has fewer bruises at the end wins.
0: Absolutely, the Chrome seem to have just gotten much better. Uh, on the offensive end, uh, with this addition of Dylan Malloy and and Jordan, it's really as Dan was saying, the opportunity to just punch you in the mouth. You're just bringing in another big body uh, that can make you know just just cause just mayhem really on the offensive end to an opposing defense. And uh, it's as Dan saying, really exciting. Hopefully, we do see him though in this starting lineup this weekend. I would hope, as you're saying, for Friday because the Chrome they've they've been battling injuries all season. But Jordan, it, they as Dan said. Got their two wins against the undefeated Archers and against the undefeated Whipsnakes. So, something that we'll be watching for this weekend: Can they knock off the Atlas, who have won three straight?
1: Just to be a, just to be sort of a pointer slash to Dan's point. Um, you know, the whole thing in this league has been chemistry, and bringing in a guy this late in the year, are we are we going to mess with chemistry? Okay, let me shut up now. It's Dylan Malloy. Like this does great great wonders for this chrome <laughs> offense i can't say anymore but you know if you have to if you really have to play spoiler to this point um you do wonder just bringing in another guy late in the year is it too little too late with a guy like dylan malloy i say no right now but you truly never know how these things can fold out but uh, like i said i'm excited to hopefully see him on friday night and he's just going to do wonders for this chrome offense you can slide it Slide so them in pretty much at any attack spot you want, and you can move pieces around. Whether it's a, whether it's a Heacock that you can move back to the midfields if you need for a guy like Malloy, or if you need to move a Kevin Rogers around. Um, so Malloy fits this Chrome team as Dan mentioned, and I look forward to seeing him.
0: We've seen Kevin Rogers playing some attack. Jordan McIntosh has been playing some attack there for the Chrome. So definitely the opportunity to kind of move some guys around within the midfield with Dylan Malloy there anchoring as the attackman. And as Dan mentioned too, we heard news recently of the loss of Jordan Wolf for the remainder of the season. So definitely a big addition here uh, is Dylan Malloy.
2: Yeah. And I think it, you know, I, I think a guy that could really help is Justin Gutterday who, who yes. has not had a, right. a, a gutty-esque season. And he's he's getting a ton of attention because everyone knows kind of right now like all right listen we will if, if heacock beats us by himself I guess okay but we're, we're not gonna let gutterding beat us um, I would I would say that if Dylan Malloy is out there and gutterding is too Malloy is gonna draw the top matchup and if he doesn't then it's gonna be a matter of time until he does um, you know he's gonna be a more physical imposing and aggressive Dodger I think than a gutterding might be um, so, you know, I, I think I think that would be helpful. And, and again, like to to the point of chemistry, I don't know, I don't know if the Chrome really have any this year. Like the the lineup yeah. has shuffled too much for them to really <laughs> have a steady group of <laughs> offensive guys that aren't moving from spot to spot or guys getting hurt. Or I gotta play out of position. I you know, am I gonna move karate here? Am I gonna move Heacock there? Uh, you know, I I think I think gutterdings, you know, less than stellar season that, you know, again. Not the usual gutted and caliber season. I think that's a symptom of that. Is we have to move guys around. Guys have to step into roles they're not used to because we're dealing with so many injuries and guys in and out. So you know, if if I'm pseudo, I'm not too worried about disrupting offensive chemistry flow (laughs) because we don't have the time right now. We got too many guys moving all over the place. Like what's the worst thing that I could happen is I still have to shuffle some guys. Well, I could have done that without adding Dylan away. So if I'm gonna do it. I'm happy I'm going to do it with him in my six rather than with him in the player pool.
0: Absolutely. There was a ton of – uh, obviously the conversation on lax twitter the sign malloy it has finally happened we're looking forward to seeing him suiting up this weekend hopefully in the PLO. again the chrome still have three games left to play they're two and four sit in sixth place separated uh by three goals which which is separating them in the chaos from sixth and seventh place they're a half game ahead of the cannon so an important weekend here for the chrome against the atlas and against the chaos on sunday and then uh, I believe they have the cannons there in Week Eight out in Albany to close their season. So an important three games here for the Chrome. Hopefully Dylan Malloy comes in and helps them out in big ways as we expect him to do. Let's move on to the Whip Snakes because as the time of this recording, they're the only other team to make a move so far this week, and that was the signing of undrafted rookie midfielder Will Perry out of UNC, likely to replace the loss of Chris Hogan, who on Monday earlier. Uh, on Monday was announced to have signed with the New Orleans Saints. So Hogan returning to the NFL with the injury of Michael Thomas there for the Saints. A short stint here in the PLO for the two-time Super Bowl champion, but the whip snakes in somewhat of uncharted territory don't exactly you know have their back you know their backs are to the wall right now. not exactly. But in a way, they're in a position that they're not entirely used to as they sit in fourth place with a negative scoring differential, and they'll play the War Dogs, who are hot off back-to-back wins in Week 5. Jordan, how do you see this Whip Snakes team faring this weekend ahead of a doubleheader next weekend in the final regular season weekend of the season? And then, obviously, Chris Hogan now playing with the Saints. We don't know his status right now with the Whipsnakes.
1: Snakes. <laughs> Well, against the Waterdogs, I think they have a real chance to bounce back. Look, um, let's, we'll have to see what happens with the injury reports when they come out. Um, the signing of Will Perry makes me seriously wonder what the status of Matt Abbott is, injury or not, just because they are, in comparison, sort of the same type of player. Even if you're bringing him in with Abbott back, I love the move because he's sort of a plug-and-play kind of player where he's going to give you a little bit offensively. He's going to give you a little bit. He can sort of figure his way out on defense too. He's um but yeah you know, with against the Water Dogs team here if the Whipsnakes are fully healthy, we've seen the Instagram stories of Matt Rambo who without the cast. So is that a precursor? I don't know if we're in the business of doing Instagram stories telling injury reports, but um if certainly if you get a guy like Matt Rambo back, and even if they don't, you know, a guy like TJ Camisio and at attack sneakily played well against the Redwoods and just having him back in the lineup for another week, even without a Rambo, and maybe with the week off with um you get a fully healthy Zed, uh that that alone could do wonders for the whip snakes. And you know, we're gonna have our p- flash picks out later in the weekend. You know, even before this injury report comes out, I'm tempted to pick the Whipstakes right now.
0: Yeah, we won't be making picks here in today's show just because obviously we are recording this on Monday. Uh, We won't be having anything coming out during the week. So our picks will be available uh, on Friday night before that game. But, yeah, Dan, just building off what Jordan said, Hogan probably not uh, – I can't even say probably not. We don't know the full extent there of uh, what his situation is, obviously – looking like he's going to try to get back into the NFL, but the Whipsnakes could use a big win here this weekend against the War Dogs, both teams uh, with four wins. Yeah.
2: I mean, look, if I'm the new Orleans saints and I'm signing Chris Hogan, I'm telling him you are not picking up lacrosse. I didn't sign you so you can go get hurt in the PLL. That's not how this works. So I would say Chris Hogan is, is, is back to the NFL and that'll be that. I don't, I don't, I don't think it serves anyone to have some kind of like back and forth where he's in the NFL one week and he's in the PLL the next, and he's not going to be a a meaningful, productive player in two leagues at once, you know, Bo Jackson, he is not. So, um, you know, I I think it's, it's the saints for him. Um, For the injury report. I think, yeah, you know, I, I would think, I would hope that Rambo is, is back this week. Um, Another guy who's going to be an impact player in this game, who who I think is going to be back this week. I've heard he's, pretty close, and, and there's a good chance he plays, is Michael Sowers. I think Michael Sowers might get cleared for the Water Dogs, and that's um, that's a boost for them. Uh, you know, they've been playing really well as it is. Injecting him into a lineup, I think, can really elevate them uh, at attack. You know, I, I don't know if you want to disrupt Ben Reeves too much because he's been so good lately, but if you can have Sowers out there to occupy a Matt Dunn or a, or a Tim Muller, and and just bump the matchups to different places where they might be more beneficial to the rest of your attack. I think you know getting the number two overall pick back and a guy like him, um, if he if he can in fact go this weekend, is a huge boost for the Water Dogs. Like that, that's that's certainly something to watch down the stretch. And here's uh, for,
1: another for the,
2: whips, for the I was going to say for the whips. I I think the the Perry signing I think is a good one. The Perry addition is a good one. Um, you know I I think I think we'll probably see Matt Abbott back. This week. Um, they also added McManus recently. So I, I think, you know, uh, the Maryland guys love Manis if he can get in the lineup for them as a two way midi. I think they'll be feeling pretty good there between Abbott and Manis. And then, you know, they still have Charlie Hayes. Bernhardt can play two ways. Um, but, you know, a, a place where I could see Perry kind of fitting for them is, um, you know, Perry at North Carolina. And especially this past year, showed you he was the best, you know, if if not the best, one of the the top two, three, maybe five middies in the country when it came to sh- being just a quality shooter. Like, doesn't need a ton of space, can get a shot off, and can sting all parts of the net, various release points, everything you want from a time and space shooter. And and a guy who who hasn't given them the whip snakes that this year um, has been Shannon Chuck. Channing only hit one two this year. He's taken 13. So he's shooting 8% from two point range. And this is the guy who usually count on to be like the, the king of the two ball, in the PLL. I know other guys get more Instagram highlights and pub and everything. If I needed two hit to save my life, I'm probably having Channy take it. Um, but this year he, he just hasn't been able to get a at the clip that we're used to seeing. I think Perry can do that for them. I think Perry has two point range. I think he can play and, and, hunt shooting lanes for himself. He doesn't need to dodge to find those. Um, you know, Channing can do that, but Perry doesn't have to. With some of the other pieces, again, if they're healthy, if they have Rambo, if they have Zed and some of these other guys, I think being able to, to look to Perry for some depth on the offensive end, who can hit twos for you, um, gives that element of, of two-point threat back to their offense, where they haven't had it, you know, from a guy like Channing Chuck as much as they have in the past. So, you know, I, I really like the the signing from that point of view. But, um, yeah, the, the health, if, if everybody's healthy, if everybody's coming back and feeling good after all this time off,
1: then, um, then you know, I, I think this game could be really actually a pretty special one one of the better games of the week. And just to piggyback off your point and add one more thing to it, I mentioned it on the last uh, show here, the, t- the two goalies for the Snakes Should Kyle Bur- – I would assume that Kyle Burnmore is likely going to get the start coming off the all-star game, coming off that performance in the uh, goalie competition. But fit, you saw Brian Phipps take the second half of the game against the Redwoods, and he didn't play terrible. I mean, it wasn't great. You're going up against a Redwoods team that was hot, and you're coming coming into the game cold. I bought up the, the idea on the last show of a two-goalie system, and I think should Burnmore struggle again – It might be something, once again, that Stags might have to consider. Look, you saw the Archers back in 19 and in the bubble sort of run with it. It made sense. They won games off of it. Can it carry into the playoffs? Maybe. With these two guys being vets that have been there, done that, they both won championships. They're two of the guys that I would say if you had to, they could could certainly handle it one way or another. But it's just something to watch out. Now, as I say this, Kyle Burnlore might come out and have 20 saves, and this idea gets nullified. But, you know, if he does struggle early on, I do think that's something to watch out for.
0: But absolutely. Yeah. Two-time uh, defending PLO champion, though, Kyle Burnlore. I don't know if he's if he's going to take too heavily <laughs> to I, uh, I, I
2: think he'll probably have Michael Earhart and Matt Evans yes. and some of these guys back in front of him again this weekend uh, and a little more – a little more quality of the defensive midfield spot. so I, I, I think he'll be in a better position to, to make some more saves. Um, but I, w- I would agree that you know that in in recent weeks, Bernlo has been maybe a little step down from where we're used to seeing him. Um, but again with with I, th- I think when you have an Earhart back in the lineup healthy, assuming Earhart's in the lineup um, and, and their full complement of D middies, I, I think that group as a as a six plus Bernhardt or plus uh, Bernlois, um, you know, has so much chemistry and they've been together basically, you know, for, for years at this point, you know, going back even more years if you want to go into their college days. I, I think that unit is so tight, that's what makes them as good as they are. I wouldn't be in a hurry to disrupt it unless I was really in trouble. I think I I think Burn has earned the the trust to be like, you've had a couple bad weeks in a row. We're gonna put your guys back in front of you and we're gonna let you, you know, go back out there again and and be yourself for us. We trust you to bounce back. Again, you know, if, if he winds up going forty percent and they lose, then I, I think it's time to maybe fun. have that conversation uh, yeah. and start looking at Phipps. But um, you know, I, I think he's earned a very long leash.
0: We will see how the Whip Snakes uh, handle. Obviously, hopefully, as you're saying, hopefully, you should be getting uh, some defensive help back in Mike Earhart in Charlie Hayes. So something that we will watch for this coming weekend as the Whip Snakes will take on the Water Dogs. Let's move on uh, to Ben Rubier's Atlas as they sit in third place as a result of the score differential, and they will play their final doubleheader of the season this coming weekend against two teams at the bottom of the table. And as Dan mentioned before, kind of the easiest, uh, you know, remaining schedule schedule here ahead of the playoffs is the Atlas they have the Chrome on Friday night, and then the Cannons who are currently out of the playoff picture on Sunday, and then next week they will have the Water Dogs, who are still obviously up there. up They're up there in the rankings. They're currently in second place, so a spot ahead of the uh, Atlas by way of the gold differential, but a chance here uh, Jordan for the Atlas to add on two more wins, and with that they will take sole possession of first place if they are to win both games this weekend, regardless of what happens in the Redwoods game and between the Water Dogs and Whipsnakes on Sunday. So a lot, Ry on these two games for the Atlas. They look like they should be fully healthy, and that's obviously great news for Coach Rubier and Co.
1: Oh uh, Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, I'm going to ride with my sort of take in the past show that I believe that the Cans are going to win out. With that being said, though, I still think they are maybe one or two defensive moves away from really being a complete team. I'm interested to see how they do approach uh, Jeff T. having seen him, now once and just th- how do you approach the second time do you, you know is he a guy that you double because i don't think they really they fully decided that they needed to cut the, the double guy like jeff teat until it was too late you know in that in that first game which i mean coming off that first game you know you could pick and choose your spots especially with that atlas offense as a whole Um, but now we know who jeff teat is as a player and he's certainly a guy that's going to command the a- a lot of attention, which, you know, the beneficiary are the guys like Jake Carraway, Eric Law and Romar Dennis. Right. So I think we're in for another high scoring affair with these teams. You talk about getting the cannons, getting fully healthy with Lyle, be it hopefully sort of getting healthy. I know he talked about on Gibson's podcast how it's that sort of his worst injury that he's ever had. So is he fully healthy I don't know, but even, you know, as we saw against the Archers, Lyle playing at, you know, whether it's 60, 70%, can still go put up five goals on any given day. Um, So, you know, hopefully those bets are healthy for the Cannons. And I expect this to, I still expect this to be a high scoring affair because, frankly, and this is more so on the Cannons, their defense, even playing well against the archers they quite haven't frankly shown enough for me to trust them defensively should they make a couple moves maybe so should they come out play play differently um early on i have more trust in them but you know if i I were betting this game i'd bet the over
0: Okay, obviously, we're looking at this matchup here. The Atlas, obviously, with two games next week, and they got the Chrome, or uh, this weekend, I should say. They got the Chrome on Friday, followed by the Cannons on Sunday. And, Jordan, last show, you mentioned possibly a trade here with that trade deadline coming up very quickly. It will be next Friday, so the Friday following Week seven, August sixth at two p.m. Eastern, the official date. Uh You had mentioned a trade, obviously, with the Atlas and Cannons, in, uh, involving Tucker Durkin. Obviously, the Cannons trying to maybe get some more help there on the defensive end. But Dan, you look at this Atlas team retool, and we didn't. Obviously, you said it in our last PLL Flash. Obviously, I put it up today on the Lacrosse Flash Twitter. So you know, we didn't expect this team to kind of in, in two weeks get accumulated to the, the speed of the game, of to the, to the new rules, obviously, that the PLO brings. And it took the Atlas two weeks, not a full season, uh, to get adjusted here to these rules.
2: Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I had said, you know, the last time we were out yet, yeah, just just how far basically ahead of schedule they are. When you think about what a, what a typical rebuild looks like uh, in the pro sports landscape, the idea of doing it in one year where you ship out everybody, draft capital, you know, make some picks. And, and then basically you're spending a year with those picks with your young guys, learning to play together, adjusting the speed. Um, you know, that, that kind of thing, especially in pro lacrosse, to be honest, takes, takes a lot of time. And, uh, the Atlas are making it look like, just like it doesn't, like it's just really easy to do. Um, you know, so far the only thing that can stop Jeff T is a travel restriction. Uh, you know, if, if he's on the field, he's going to hurt you. Um, I think that that Chrome game. It'll be interesting to see how the how the Chrome try and try and handle him. Um, I think you know w- Mike Manley has been a, a outstanding cover guy this year. He's a two time Pro Defensive Player of the Year. I mean, he's been an outstanding cover defender for a long time. He plays a very physical, punishing style of defense, and um, you know it, it'll be something where how T responds to that. You know, all up in your business kind of defense, uh, how he, how he handles that, you know, at, at Cornell, when he got face guarded, he kind of just took his man away and that was that he didn't necessarily, you know, try and take control. or I get himself back into a rhythm, um, this is obviously a very different situation and there's going to be a different, you know, coaching style to it where I'd, I I would imagine they're going to try and still get him involved, but, um, you know, the, the manly approach would be an interesting one. And then, um, you know, we saw the Canons try Goodrich on T as well, and um, you know, it worked a couple times, it didn't work some others. You know, it's a testament to Jeff T is that he can run by Zach Goodrich, which the list of guys mm-hmm. who can do that you can probably count on one hand, um, one finger. Uh so you know, I, I think do you try a Tarafenko there, right? Terrafenko put the clamps on Connor Fields like he is he's reached a level as a short stick defensive midfielder. That uh, is is as elite as any in the game. Um, you know, you you're playing with fire because putting him on T means you're shorting Jeff T You have to really trust him. But um, I think that rookie on rookie matchup of Teat and Tarasenko would be a ton of fun. So I, I hope we see that that set up. You know, a couple times maybe Friday night. But um, this Atlas team, I think it's it's reasonable to think that they can go two and zero this weekend. Um, I don't I don't know how. The, I'm gonna eat my words on it because this is just something that happens to me lately. I have no idea how the cannons are gonna stop the Atlas from scoring. None. Like they the, the Atlas offense is just so much better than what the cannons are sending out on D. And I, I know that I know that the win over the Archers in Morocco played great and made big saves, but you know I, I think I had said it. But for that to happen, what the cannons also needed to happen was Will Manny, Marcus Holman, and Tom Schreiber all missed gimmies in the last minute of that game, mm-hmm. all missed on shots they usually score on, or Morocco made incredible saves. And, you, you, like, you, you can't keep coming down to Nine that. times out of you're, ten, yeah. That's not going to be a winning formula is all three guys, all three of those guys get a really good look and we win. That doesn't happen <laughs> very often. So um, the, the defense, like Jordan said, needs to be better. Um, I don't know if they'll try and make a move this week. Like you just said, the trade deadline is is Friday, uh, a week from Friday, I should say, at, at 2 p.m. It doesn't mean they can't make a trade tomorrow and add somebody to get them, get them some help this weekend. But, um, you know, I, I think they'll need uh, a, a good team, you know, six-on-six six scheme and formula to try and deal with how are we going to get, number one, to Jeff T early so that he's not just running by guys and, and creating. Once he gets moving and he's running through your defense with his eyes up, it's too late, you're done. So how, how are we gonna address that? And then how are we going to protect skip lanes? Because once Jeff Teet, again, is playing with his eyes up, he is finding Caraway and Law and Costabile from range. And it, you know when that starts happening, it's, it's you, you know, if, if you're trying to react, it's too late. You need to be a, a proactive on defense. So, how they're gonna, you know, how the cannons can handle doing that, I don't know. Their defense hasn't shown me this year that they're capable of stopping an offense that dynamic. Um, they could try and outscore it if Lyle goes out there again and has another 10-point game or a nine-point game, and he's feeling healthy after the time off. Then, um, then you know, you give him a shot at at saying they can outscore it. You know, I don't, I don't. I, I think Rex Rhodes having a great year. I wouldn't ever bet on anybody to shut out Lyle Thompson twice in the same season. So, you know, we'll see how that matchup goes. But as of now, I, I think the Atlas again, like we've said, so far ahead of schedule. They're so young. They have a ton of draft picks still because they accumulated draft picks in this coming draft. So they, you know, I, I think a 2-0 this weekend, and then if they can get a win against the Water Dogs, that'll make them the one seed, and they'll be a team with a bye weekend in the semifinals. At a, at a team that early in the season we thought they looked like a team that needed a year to gel, and they clearly don't. They're looking like the toast of the league right now.
0: Uh, coming into this season, it was kind of like the Atlas. They might be you know, towards the bottom where the cannons are right now, kind of in contention trying to fight for one of those bottom playoff spots. Now we're here talking about the, the Atlas looking to uh, lock up the number one seed. They probably at this point have the easiest – Scheduled to do so, the Whip Snakes have a pretty tough schedule here coming towards the end of the season. They got the Redwoods and the Archers. The Redwoods have the Whip Snakes and the Archers. The Archers, Redwoods, Whip Snakes. So those teams all with kind of a tough, tough uh, slate here coming up over these last two weeks of the regular season. But the Al is definitely with an easier trip. And you said there before, I wouldn't bet on Michael Rexroad shutting down Lyle. I wouldn't bet on Michael Rexroad shutting down Lyle Thompson once, and he did do that. <laughs> But uh, to see him do it twice, something I don't think we'll see happen, but... Lyle Thompson, as we're saying, hopefully is uh, healthy coming off these injuries. There's other names as well. I mean, we talked about Matt Rambo and Mike Earhart before, but Paul Rabel was banged up going to the weekend. Blaze Reardon going into the All-Star weekend as well. So hopefully we see all uh, those guys healthy. But the Atlas come into Week 7 on a three-game winning streak, as I mentioned before. We'll see if they can extend that to four or possibly five this weekend in Colorado Red. Uh, by this young core that has exploded in recent weeks to lead this team to solid after uh, solid outing after solid outing. Let's move on uh, to the chaos. As I mentioned there before, Blaze Reardon hopefully will be back in between the pipes uh, for this chaos team after uh, being put on that injury report. A long injury report it was ahead of the All Star game, but. We're hoping that we'll see him healthy here against the cannons uh, this coming weekend. And in uh, Jordan, this is, this is a must win game really for both of these teams, but we're just looking at the chaos This is a must win game. They're uh, they're both cannons and chaos at minus 12 in the goal scoring differential, but holding it just by half a game. So this is, this is an important uh, weekend for the chaos ahead of a double header there in week eight in Albany.
1: Yeah. You know, for the chaos, I'm really interested to see how their offense comes about. Um, we're talking about chemistry and offenses earlier and really the only sort of chemistry the chaos have really had on offense is sort of the burn Dane Smith and Cluchet. And that's sort of a hit or miss, you know, sometimes they have it sometimes they don't. Um, I'm interested to see if they, how a guy like Bryce Wasserman gets involved again. Um, He didn't really get, I shouldn't really say again because he didn't really get much involved in Minnesota uh, per se, but You know, hopefully with another weekend, maybe he gets involved. Maybe he's a difference maker. Still trying to figure out sort of his fit within that offense. But he is another guy who, again, he can dodge at. You know, maybe they bring him out of the midfield. Uh, They were kind of sort of running him on that attack – on that sort of second attack line or second midfield um, in Minnesota. In Minnesota. And (laughs) – and you know, not really much reduction. And um, you know, we'll see how he does in another week. Um, obviously, Blaze. You know, we all know that Blaze sees way too many shots. And you know, the Chaos are another team on defense who could certainly use some help. I've you know, I flirted with the idea of moving Jarrett Newman up to LSM. Maybe that could also give them a burst, sort of on offense, sort of his running gun style. Um. Yeah, and frankly, I mean, Jack Rowlett, hopefully he's back coming off the broken nose. Um, You know, with a guy like him in the lineup, he's going to certainly do wonders for their defense. But with the chaos, they're a team that I really want to see them come out. It's it's 50-50 with them, you know. They're a team that they can get hot. When they look good, they're really good. But when they look bad, it's really bad. So, um, yeah. That's uh, so what I'm really interested to see with this chaos team.
2: You know, with with the chaos, I think, you know, you, you look you wind the clock back a year and you kind of look at when they when they made their 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 kind of their leap on offense, right? When they sparked and after that awful start in the bubble, they kind of oh my god, this offensive explosion, when they shuffled their offensive lineup, um, one of their more dynamic groupings was this set up with Stotts and Dixon and Byrne, and they're one for three on those guys being in the lineup for them right now. Um, yes. You know, we know what happened with Stotts. Uh, Dixon has still not been cleared to, to travel. You know, getting to and from the States is not easy for some of our uh, Canadian counterparts. So, you know, it's it's Byrne out there. And, and there's been moments where they have an offensive group, like Jordan said, with I think Dane Smith has been really good. Um, you know, Byrne's been solid. You know, Cluche has been good for them. They're they're working in Mac O'Keefe into into parts of the field where he can be dangerous, especially from two, and and trying to get him time and room shots. But um, you know we'll see kind of how they how they adapt that offense this week and how they try and again shuffle. I, I really do think they're missing guys like Curtis Dixon. I think his his absence this year just cannot be understated. Um, you know, and I think they were probably counting on on, on Rodgers to do a lot for them too. They haven't had him in a lineup as a, as a guy they took uh, in the entry draft. Um, who, I, you know, I think anybody who's watched the NLL and even, you know, watched the MLL bubble last season knows what he's capable of and, and what kind of damage he could do in this chaos offense. He, he's not able to travel. Um, but, you know, I, I would like to see a little more from Tanner Cook maybe this week. Uh, I know he's cleared to to be with the team. So he's in the lineup. You know, he was he was a draft pick where when I saw, you know, his game and team that took him, I thought this is a perfect match. This is a guy where they can, you know, if they wanted to try and, and get crazy, they could run that Penn State pick down motion with Cook and with O'Keefe to try and give Cook a matchup issue, run him out of an invert, give Mac O'Keefe a shorty switch to him, try and create space for him. Um, you know, those kind of opportunities are there for them. So I, I, I think that's going to be something where you want to see how they work that guy in. And you hope that they uh, that they start having a little more success facing off. I think that's another key for the face-off – or for the chaos, I should say, is you know I, I, I think there isn't anybody out there who thought after the offseason that the chaos were going to need help at the face-off spot. You know, this is a team that added Kyle Gallagher, that added Max Adler. Um, those were basically the, some of the top pieces available at the spot, we thought, and they just haven't been able to, to get consistent possession for their team. So um, you, know, you, you want that – that spot to do better and I think that's going to be a big problem for for the chaos if if they can't get any better there because you know again like Jordan said blaze is seeing way too many shots their defense hasn't been playing great a way you can alleviate that is just winning more faceoffs and having the ball more so um, you know if, if Adler can can get into a rhythm maybe or, or you know whoever they decide to go with this week whether it's Adler or Gallagher um, I think that is a way that you can kind of address a defensive deficiency so you know there's there's a lot there in terms of what the Chaos has to do to to get a win. But like you said at the top, this is a playoff game for these teams, right? I mean Lyle said it last week, but the playoffs have to be started for the Chaos and the Cannons. And if you lose this one, it's gonna be tough to, to especially if you're the Cannons and you've already you know, you've already played seven games. You drop this one, you're really gonna be in a tough spot if you're gonna try and make the playoffs.
0: The Cannons are in a tough spot. I'm looking at uh, their schedules right now. We know the chaos, if they are to lose this game, they've got the Archers next, or uh, the Friday, the 13th, so of week eight, the Friday of week eight. They've got the Archers and then the Redwoods on that Sunday. So not an easy uh, go here for the chaos over these final two weeks. Uh, for the cannons, they'll have Chrome next week, so somewhat of an easier game. Just kind of looking at how the standings are shaking out. You know, the Chrome obviously is cr- uh, currently in sixth place at two and four there, so an easier one there for the cannons to say. Like obviously, this week being that they got the Atlas, so we'll see how that those games all shake out. But definitely looking at uh this chaos team could use uh, some help there on the defensive end. Could use, I mean, we said coming into the season, could use face-off help. They drafted the only face-off specialist drafted in the entry. You know, they took – Mike, Max Adler, he was the only face-off specialist drafted there in the entry draft, and they got Kyle Gallagher fairly early in the college draft. So was hoping to address the face-off issues, still working uh, t- you know, to see if they can address those problems. Let's look ahead here to the final game that we have not talked about yet, the Redwoods and the Archers, and this is kind of setting up for a great one because we got the Redwoods currently in first place. They're 4-2 and two with a plus-8 goal differential, while the Archers are 3-3. Three and three. They won their first three games. They've since dropped their last three, all by a single goal, though, and their goal differential is still plus 22, which is by far the highest in the league, though. The Redwoods are the second highest at plus eight, so plus eight to plus 22. That's a, uh, like, 16-goal difference there that the Archers have an advantage. So the Archers really in a really good position despite being a game back. Uh, Jordan, how do you see this game kind of shaping out? You know, an important game for both teams as they'll both have a doubleheader next week. Uh, or uh, in two weeks, I should say, in week eight, they'll both play the Whip Snakes there. In week eight, they'll, uh, you know, tough, tough. This is it. This is crunch time here for both of these teams. Even though they're safe in in terms of playoff uh, positioning, they're trying to fight for these number one spots and for the seating for the uh, for the playoffs.
1: Well, yeah, certainly. Uh, before the bye week, I talked them or I talked about the Redwoods sort of now hitting their stride and whatnot as a team. I'm interested to see coming off that bye, you know, different teams, they're going to come out firing. Are you going to sort of come out rusty Um, with a team like the Redwoods? I hope, or I say just for the sake of that pick I made last week, that they continue their momentum um, as they had coming into the bye week. And look, you know, at the face off, a guy like TD is going to win you possessions, right? So, you know, defensively is where I'm really focused on for the Redwoods how do you how do you attack that Archer's offense? I mean, if you have them firing on all cylinders, they are essentially unstoppable. Just ask the Water Dogs and just ask the Atlas <laughs> um, and the rest of the league. But, um, yeah, you know, I'm really interested to see just matchup wise, too. Who do you put on Tom Schreiber? And then when you do that, who do you put on Grant Amet? I would imagine you put, you're going to put Eppel on Schreiber, which, um, you know, it's going to – that's a 50-50 matchup in my mind, you know. On Apple's best day, he wins that matchup 90% of the time. But on Tom Schreiber's best day, he wins that matchup 99% of the time. Um, so I'm really just interested to see those individual matchups. Um, you certainly, the Archers had the advantage with when it comes to the LSM's with Ratliff and Connors. Interested to see uh, how the Redwoods approach that too, especially – especially on the wings where a guy like Bones Kelly I think is going to try and give uh, TD a run for his money and not just let him win the clamp. He's going to try and make it more of a ground ball hustle sort of deal, which guys like Rat, guys like Jared Connors are great at. But the Redwoods did add a guy in Kyle Hartzell who could be used in that way should he he dress in this game. And then the Redwoods offensively, you look at (coughs) – You look at only having 13 goals up against the Whipsnakes, but you talk about putting up 19 against the Redwoods. And, you know, Dan's point, there's too many cooks in the kitchen, you know, type of deal that worked out, didn't. You know, we'll see. You know, we'll see what we get, you know, as far as this Redwoods offense, as far as, nah, I can't finish a point for the life of me. Uh, but, <clears throat> but as far as just seeing how they roll with Rob – uh, Rob Pinnell coming in, uh, feeding Miles Jones' feeding perk. You know, you saw that working hand-in-hand, hand. and even Miles Jones as of late being a feeder himself. Uh, just And hopefully, you know, a guy that we haven't talked about injury-wise is, is Ryan Lee, who could really come in and help their offense as a whole. Um, so that's what I'm really interested to watch out for, the, uh, for, the, for the Redwoods.
0: Dan Jordan mentioned it there. Kyle Hartzell is uh, recently signed there by Coach Nats St. Laurent in the and Re- the Redwoods. How do you expect him, if dressed as obviously Jordan mentioned? How do you expect him to uh, get accumulated here with this with this Redwoods team and hopefully stopping this high powered arches offense?
2: Yeah, you know how you deploy Hartzell is kind of interesting. Um, you know, it's it's sort of right into the fire. I know Hartzell hasn't seen game action. Um, you know, in, in a little while and he's if, if he's dressing, he's going back in against an offense that's gonna that's gonna welcome you back and that's for sure. So um you know if it's if it's me and I'm I'm scheming for the woods, I'm probably putting Apple on Amen and 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 just trying to disrupt Amen as a feeder as much as I can. I think Apple's best suited to that. Um and then I would be fine with with you know sort of Glazner on uh, on Holman. As who I would call the the least dangerous Dodger of those three, which doesn't make him a badge Dodger. It just means he's not as dangerous in my estimation as Eamon or Manny is. Um, but I'm I'm deploying Hartzell in the midfield. Um, you know I'm Sexton is still going to be my my lead guy, and that's probably where I'm going uh, to guard to guard Schreiber is just going with a pull there. But I I rely you know more than individual matchups for for this. Um, you know, with with the exception of the Apple Amon matchup, I'm just going to count on Apple to just win there. I'm counting in a big way on Eddie Glazner in this game to be the the organizer and the communicator that he's shown himself to be. Um, you know, I I don't I think if you go out there hoping that my I, I win six one on one matchups against the archers, you're going to lose. You you need to win the 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 six v six the full scheme versus the full scheme against the archers if you're if you're going to have a shot. Um, I think Glazner is the best defenseman in the league at positioning a defense to be able to do that. So I I think that'll be a ton of fun. Um, I hope Hartzell gets in the mix and and we'll see, you know, if if he winds up on Schreiber, if I'm Schreiber, am I attacking that matchup? Absolutely. I'm attacking the guy who hasn't played in the league in in months. And I'm seeing if he can, if he can still, you know, run with me or not. Um, On the other end of the field, I think, uh, I think it'll be interesting to see how Jules is deployed. I think Jules had a, ridiculously good first you know we call it the first half of the season because you know we hit the all-star break even though there's there's two weeks left so we're kind of beyond the halfway point here but that first chunk of the season Jules is awesome He's shooting north at 50 percent he was drawing slides he's distributing the ball well um so you know as long as teams continue to short him which is something teams have been prone to doing if he's on the field with miles and Perkovic, then um, And he's going to keep punishing them for doing that. I think if Ryan leaves back in the lineup, it just amplifies that thing that Jules does really well. And I, you know, another thing that Jordan mentioned too, is this transition from miles as just physical downhill Dodger with two point range to miles, the distributor, who's all of a sudden throwing lookaway feeds to people who are open on the backside. Um, you know, I, th- I think the Redwoods are really in a groove right now. I'm going to take credit for it because that groove started when I said they had too many cooks in the kitchen. So you welcome, <laughs> Redwoods fans. Um, but, I mean, like, I, I say that, like, tongue-in-cheek. But honestly, when I said it, this was an offense that had six ridiculously good players on the field who all had this habit yeah. of watching the other five guys, you know, the five other guys watch the guy with the ball just wait for him to do something awesome. They don't do that anymore. Now, they're, now there's there's motion, there's movement, there's, like we said, look away, feed some miles. They're moving defenses in a, in a much more, you know, effective way. So I, I think the Redwoods are in a good groove right now. And uh, honestly, like pick-wise, I think I would pick them to win this game. I like where they're at a whole lot more than I like where, where the Archers are at. So um, be a fun game. Again, I think the most fun part is going to be Glazner, the field general organizer against – as dynamic as a six person unit as we've seen in pro lacrosse in a long time. Um, I think that'll be a ton of fun. I can't wait for those mic'd up segments and everything. So um, yeah, it'll be, it'll be a fun one. I think this a really good matchup is is brewing there.
0: This should be a great game here coming up with the Redwoods and Arches. We don't have a game of the week yet here uh, for lacrosse flash, but I'd imagine that game will be uh, in the running when we get down to discussing it here uh, within our group. But great game coming up this weekend with the Redwoods and the archers I know Jordan said uh, a week and a half ago on our last goal line extended he likes the Redwoods here uh, when it's all said and done to come out with this top C we should have right now looking like the Redwoods the Alice the whip snakes are all currently four and two uh, the water dogs are four and three with that positive goal differential putting them up in second place and then the archers as I said uh, last week, Plus twenty-two goal differential. You're kind of in contention until you're uh, mathematically eliminated, excuse me, wins and losses wise. So, Jordan, do you still like the Redwoods? And then to piggyback off that, uh, Dan, who's your team right now uh, that you would say would come away with the top spot?
1: Um, yeah, I'm still going to stick with that Redwoods pick. I haven't had any reason to pick otherwise. And even you know, potentially with a guy like Ryan Lee coming back, maybe, and you know, with that signing of Hartzell, if he does dress, you know. That's just more debt and more help. so haven't had any other reasons to change that pick. Um, so I'm gonna roll with it.
2: Yeah and I had I had gone with the Atlas and I think I'm gonna stick with it even even with the, the wrinkle of they now have to play a, a Dylan Malloy team on Friday night. Um, you know I, I still think of, of the, the remaining schedule, you know when I, I was texting with some other people about this and we were just looking at who everybody had left. We were like, the Atlas have, you know, who do they have left? It just, it feels, it feels sweepish. It feels sweepy. Like they're, it just feels like a 3 0 stretch for them. So, again, I'm sure I'm going to eat my words on that, but um, I'm going to, I'm going to go with the Atlas to close it out with a 3 0 run and, and go into the playoffs as the hottest team in
0: the league and the one and the number one overall seed. Does complete switch from what we thought coming in the season We've, we're thinking retooled alice they brought in all these draft picks all these young uh, young guns rookies we're thinking they're going to be at the bottom trying to fight for a playoff spot come this time of the season but no they are in the driver's seat really at this right at this current time uh, for that number one seed. on the flip side of that we have three teams at the bottom Uh, of the of the table right now the chrome in sixth place two and four with a minus nine goal differential the chaos are in seventh also at two and four but a minus 12 goal differential and then the cannons two and five minus 12 goal differential so we're going to see over these next two weeks the cannons obviously play twice chrome played twice this weekend and then in another time uh, in week eight, the Chaos will play once this weekend, twice there in week eight, like I said before, against the Archers and the Redwoods. So not an easy uh, two games there in week eight for the Chaos. Just looking at that last playoff spot, that seventh playoff spot, Jordan, uh, Dan, whoever I should say. Someone should go first. Let me direct someone to go first. Dan, if you want to go first, who do you like there uh, kind of locking up that seventh playoff spot, and who are you looking at as kind of the team that would be on the outside looking in uh, when it's all said and done after week eight?
2: Yeah, I, I think I'm going to take the chaos to be on the outside looking in. I think I see them finishing as, as the eighth seed. Um, you know, we, When we previewed their game, we kind of ran through where some of their deficiencies are. And, and it's it's in the places where when you're building a pro lacrosse team you want to be the strongest right you want to be i've had I've had coaches and and other you know pro personnel tell me before you you when you're building a team you want to be strong through the middle of the field you want to be great with an ex attackman you want to be great facing off you want to be great in net i would say the chaos are, are you know, sitting right now, probably one for three on those. I don't consider Byrne really to be an ex-attackman. I don't think he's where he's most comfortable and where he does his his best work. I think facing off, they're really hurting right now. They're really, really struggling. Um, and Blaze, of course, is great. He's goalie of the year, level goalie. But, you know, he's he's kind of Atlas holding up the world for them right now where if, if, if you just catch Blaze on a day where he's not seeing it well, and those are once-in-a-blue-moon days, but if he has one down the stretch here, their 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 ship is sunk like they they need him to make all these saves and if if it doesn't work out then they're they're kind of stuck so um you know given the personnel of the teams that they're going up against you just highlighted the remaining schedule of theirs i i think that the chaos are going to be in a really tough spot to to get another win or or to even make up some goal differential ground uh that they might need to make up in order to get that 7 spot and then i i also just i just don't think it's in Lyle's DNA to allow them to miss the playoffs. Like I I, I can't imagine a, a team with with Lyle and Rabel and, and leaders like they have and guys like Brody Merrill and and Morocco to just let it to let that happen. Like I, I feel like that team is going to wheel itself into the playoffs somehow. So um you know I am taking the chaos to be the uh to be the odd group out.
0: I know, Jordan, I think you said it two weeks ago, too, and you said it uh, in today's show, you like the Canyons here to sweep here uh, over their final two games here of the regular season.
1: Exactly. Just a piggy off of Dan's point, and I think I even said it in the show before, I just can't see a Lyle Thompson team not making the playoffs. And I think I'm a little bit lower on the chaos than maybe most people are, sort of the Dan's point. You know, you talk about the key positions where you need, help. They're one for for three in those. And even this late in the year, do we really have a feel of what type of team the Chaos are? Do they really do one particular thing well? I mean, yes, Blaze makes all this. Yes, Blaze makes saves. But I mean, when you're getting that many shots thrown against you, you're going to have a high save percentage. You're going to have high numbers. Um, So it's more so an indictment on how the chaos haven't come together as a team. Granted, you can blame that on Justin Trudeau. You can blame that on injuries. You can blame that on other things. You know, anybody that wants to throw out the towers, hot seat BS, leave that alone. Um, This year has just been a weird year for them. Um, And that's really just sort of an indictment why I have the chaos on the outside looking in.
0: Looking at it, obviously, with the chaos remaining schedule this week, uh, they have a – Blanked here on the chaos. They got the Chrome. So a game, obviously, that we were talking about before. The Chrome, you kind of control their own destiny. The Chaos kind of in the same uh, situation here this weekend. But again, the Archers in week eight followed by the Whip Snakes. So two games that are not easy games there to close out your season. You're, you're going up against two teams that are in on the same, on the flip end, fighting for playoff seeding, probably that number one spot if it comes down to it. So we will see. Obviously, the trade deadline will be in effect Following week seven, next Friday, August 6th at 2 p.m. Eastern is the trade deadline. And then kind of just looking at it here, wrapping up here before we finish up today's show. Uh, ahead of week seven, the MVP, the Rookie of the Year race is kind of coming down to the wire here. We've had some incredible rookie performances uh, this season. Obviously, uh, the superstars that we expected to play really well coming into the year have, uh, you know, grand Amen, guys like that. They've they've played uh, stellar uh, this season, uh, Dan MVP pick right now, and who's your rookie of the year headed into Week Seven? Uh,
2: MVP for me is Grant Amon. Um but if, if it stays like this, Jeff Teet's going to be on be on the medal stand. He's he's going to get a top three finish. Um, rookie of the year again. I, th- I think it's despite missing the beginning couple games of the season, I think it's looking like Jeff Teet. But that that race is really really good. I think TD has been awesome. Um, you know, I think Steven Rafus is, is, it, it's a shame he's drafted with this group and not with a different group because he's, he's putting together a season that should be a lock for a rookie of the year award, but unfortunately he's doing it well. TD oh. and Jeff Teeter in the league, Tara has been great, um, been great as well. So that the rookie of the year race is a, is a really, really good one. Um,
1: but I think Jeff Teet is, is going to lock it up. Jordan. Yeah, 100% agree. As much as I'd like to see a guy like Terrafenko win that Rookie of the Year in the year that he's having, it's the unfortunate part of, A, being drafted with this group and playing short stick defensive midfield, which does is a position that really does not get a lot of love in these awards, except for he may he may win that short stick defensive midfielder of the year award. How how much of a consolation prize is, of that is the Rookie of the Year? Uh, you'd be the judge of that. Um, for the MVP race, I think Jeff Teat will end up locking it up, just because I think the at, just because I think the Atlas might go farther. And you know, typically, the PLL has waited until the playoff, until later in the playoffs to judge these awards. So it may be a situation where, and even it, and I'm not saying that as an indictment against Grant, uh, Grant meant, You know, this could just be a situation where guys like Marcus Holman get hot. Guys like Will Manny get hot, and you know Grant Grandement's still going to be a part of that. He's still going to be a great feeder to those guys. But you know, I think, I mean, not just Jeff Teet is going to have the benefit of the doubt in terms of recency bias. Which you know whether that plays a part in it, we don't know. We'll see. But um, I, it's hard. It's going to be hard to pick against Jeff Teet when it's all said and
0: done. I'm sticking, I think. I I like Jeff Teeth there for the Rookie of the Year. I still think T.D. Erland, uh, if he keeps putting up great performance after great performance, I still think he'll be uh, his name thrown in there. I think Danny Logan, too, has been playing some great lacrosse. But then, as you're saying with the Ryan Tarafenko thing, tough for an SSDM really to crack a Rookie of the Year. But we will see. In terms of uh, MVP, I guess I'm going to go with uh, Dan here. I like Grant Amen. Kind of the biggest thing last year. There was no Rookie of the Year last year. So Grant Amen obviously put together a stellar season last year, was kind of in that MVP conversation for a little bit there. Wasn't able to bring home a rookie of the year, so... Hopefully we'll see him here with this MVP this season if he continues to play as he's playing. But let's wrap this up very shortly. Again, just to go over the matchups here, we got the Atlas minus a goal and a half against the Chrome on Friday night. The Archers will play the Redwoods. The Redwoods favored by a goal and a half. The Whip Snake uh, are favored. The Whip Snakes are favored, excuse me, by a goal and a half against the Water Dogs. And then on Sunday, the Chrome favored by a goal and a half against the Chaos, and the Atlas are favored by a goal and a half against the cannon so wrapping up this season uh very very quickly coming up on us as dan said before kind of the midway point of the season was the first chunk followed by just like the last two weeks here uh as we're getting close to the 2021 playoffs which are looking to heat up very very soon we're very excited to see how the final two weekends of the season shake out and like i said before After this weekend ahead of week eight in Albany, we will have a much better idea of how everything could look. And then obviously we'll be talking much more about it next week and the following week ahead of week eight. But Jordan, Dan, I want to thank you both for joining me today as we look ahead to week seven and the upcoming playoff push in the PLL as we quickly approach the playoffs. And that is going to do it for today's show. I want to thank you all for watching and or listening if you are not already, make sure to subscribe to Goal Line Extended on YouTube and hit that notification bell so you get notified of future shows. You can also follow along on Instagram and Twitter at GL Extended. All the links that you will need will be in the description of the video or podcast that you are viewing or listening to right now. Also, make sure to check out lacrosseflash.com. A ton of content coming up there in the coming week as well as following this week's seven slate Here in Colorado Springs, we will be back next Tuesday with the PLL flash to recap week seven, and then we'll have a goal line extended teed up next Friday ahead of the bye week as well before we get into week eight in Albany as all of these games over the next two weeks hold important playoff implications. So make sure to like, follow and subscribe so that you don't miss any of it. I hope you all have a fantastic week and weekend. Enjoy the return of the PLL along with all the other lacrosse content out there. Make sure to check out lacrosseflash.com and lacrosseflash on Instagram and Twitter. And obviously our full picks will be available ahead of this weekend. We will talk to you next week. Cheers. Wax after dark. Let's go. Follow the show on Twitter and Instagram
1: at GL Extended and subscribe to the show on any of your favorite podcast outlets. You can find lacrosse flash on twitter instagram and facebook and online at lacrosseflash.com